We're going to go ahead and jump into week three of our Closer series. I've enjoyed sharing these things with you and um, enjoyed what the Lord has been doing um, through these messages. And I just believe that God has uh, a very important truth for us this morning. But I will say this, it is, it's not an easy truth. Um, this is one of those truths that, that, not that I haven't struggled with all of them, but at times I can really struggle with this. This is one of those things that uh, I want to do better in, I need to do better in, and that God can help me to do better in. And that's hopefully, and you know that as well, that God wants to do that in your heart and in your life as well. But this, this can be a little tricky. This can be a little hard at times for us, especially in our world today and the things that we deal with and the things that we face. But I believe that God wants to help us to see it. He wants to help discipline us to do a better job in this area so that, for his, so that, that, that his glory will go out throughout in the entire world and through the entire earth. So again, that's a very important truth, but it is going to be a harder one. It's going to be kind of one that we have to kind of Look at it and go, man, how am I doing in this area? Because I do believe God desperately wants to help us as we grow closer into him. To kind of start this out, um, I want to tell you a little bit of a story. Uh, some of you know this, some of you don't. Um, but when I was in uh, sixth grade, I was starting to have a little bit of an issue. Um, I was sitting in class and I was kind of sitting there and kind of looking up at the, the chalkboard that kind of ages me as crazy as that sounds, you know, chalkboards. You know, I was looking at the chalkboard. I think all the young, young kids are out there, so I'll have to explain what a chalkboard is. But I think everybody here knows what a chalkboard is. Uh, and so I was sitting up there looking at the chalkboard, and, and the teacher was up there, and she was writing. I had a sixth grade teacher. Why I remember this, don't ask. But probably because it was a weird name, but her name was Mrs. Lottenschlager. Um, poor, poor lady. Um, she did eventually get married. And I think it probably, you know, I don't know, but just, just how God works, her name probably Jones now or something. But anyway, Mrs. Lottenschlager, Mrs. Lottenschlager was up and she's writing on the board and I'm sitting there, I'm trying to be a good student. I'm trying not to look outside and kind of wonder when recess is or lunch is. And I kind of am doing these things and I look up one day and I notice something. I notice that the, um, the board, the, the writing on the birds, board's a little on the blurry side. I look down at my paper and everything's fine. Everything looks normal. But I look up and things are a little blurry. This is strange. And so I kind of put it away, didn't worry about it. You know, a week passed and again, I, everything's kind of blurry. I don't know what's going on. I would go outside at recess and when we were in school at recess, we would always go outside and um, play flag football together. And so we were out there playing flag football and noticed that the ball was a little blurry depending on, you know, how far they, the, the ball was being thrown and all these sort of things. And I kind of was like, what is going on? Something strange is going on. And so I remember I went to my parents and I said, I, I got this issue. And they're like, what's going on? I said, well, it's, it's, it's blurry. It's blurry. So where is it blurry? I said, well, close up, it's fine. But, but back, you know, when I'm sitting in the back row looking at the chalkboard, it's blurry. Mom and dad looked at each other and next thing I knew, I had an eye appointment with Dr. Lally. Went in and saw Dr. Lally. He sat me in his chair and he began to do all these crazy things. Is one better or two better? You know, read the, read the line. You know, what letters are there, all that sort of stuff. And I remember he pulled me, uh, put me in the chair. He pulls back the, the contraption and he goes, Aaron, I need to tell you something. I said, okay, doc, what's up? He says, Aaron, you're nearsighted. I said, oh, huh? He said, Aaron, you're nearsighted. And I said, well, no. And I was a little confused by that. And I said, what do you mean I'm nearsighted? He said, well, you're, you're having some trouble with your eyes, aren't you? And I said, yeah. He said, well, tell me about them. I said, well, I'm I, I, I real close up. I'm great. 
But I said, things far away, you know, that's, they're hard to see. Because, yeah, that's, you're nearsighted. And I said, no, 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 no. You know, isn't it great when you got like a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, I'm not sure how old I was in sixth grade, but maybe 11, talking to an adult doctor about how dumb he is, you know? No, 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 doctor. I, don't, I can just picture this in my mind. And I'm like, oh, it makes me cringe, you know, when I was that age. But I like cringe. No, 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 doctor, you don't understand. I see things close just fine. My nearsight is fine. I, I'm farsighted. He goes, no, Aaron. Why he didn't just smack me, I don't know. No, Aaron, that's what nearsighted means. You can see things close up, but you can't see some things that are far away. Basically, what he was telling me is the things that are right in front of me, I could see just fine. It was hard at times to see things that were out. And spiritually speaking, we tend to sometimes fall into this trap. We're going to look at a story in John 4. Now, John 4 is a very popular portion of Scripture. John 4 is the story of the woman at the well. We are going to kind of look at that. We're going to give an overview of that. But we're really going to focus in on what happens immediately after that portion of Scripture. So if you have your Bible, open it up or you can turn on your, your phone and turn to John 4. We're going to read about 11 chapters or so, 9 chapters, or excuse me, 9 verses at the end of John 4. Now, we'll go back in just a moment and kind of set the story. I want to make sure everyone understands what's going on in the first part of John, but we're really going to be focusing this morning on the second part of that story. So again, if you have your Bibles, John 4, and we're going to start with verse number 27. This is what it says. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her, or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jug beside the well and ran back to the village, telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You know, they, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest, but I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. The harvesters are paid good wages and the fruit they harvest is brought is our, our people brought to eternal life. What joy awaits both the planter and the harvester alike. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we do thank you for this time. God, we thank you for this opportunity to just come and just to look at these things. And God, this is, this is kind of one of those truths that's, that's a little harder sometimes to swallow. But it is a truth that I believe that, God, if we're going to grow closer to you, that you want to help us to understand Father, your disciples in this time, they, they didn't understand it. And you came to express and to teach and to disciple them in these things. And Father, I believe today you want to do the same for us. So God, I ask that you would help us open our hearts, open our minds to understand a little bit more about what you desire to do in our hearts and our lives to bring us closer to you and then in turn help us to make an impact in the world that we are placed in. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. So let's, like I said, let's, let's go ahead and set the scene for this story. I know some of us know John 4 fairly well, but I want to make sure we all understand kind of the setting of the story and kind of what's going on. So let's kind of do that. We're going to kind of go through um, the earlier part of, of John 4 to kind of set the scenes. Jesus here is traveling. He's left Judea and he's headed to a place called Galilee. And on the way, he basically, he and his disciples stop at a Samaritan village. And they are there and they stop basically on the outside of the village at a well. This is called Jacob's Well. You can actually go and visit it uh, today and see it. But uh, basically Jesus stops there and he's kind of there during the middle of the afternoon around noontime, which is a very strange time to be at a well. Most times the ladies that would come to draw water would do so at the beginning of the day. But Jesus is there around kind of the middle of the day, around noontime, and a Samaritan woman comes up and Jesus basically asks her, for a drink of water. Now, at this point in time, the story kind of breaks really interestingly, starting with verse number seven, eight, and nine. So basically, verse number seven, and the way John writes it, is we're kind of there, we're kind of taking a part of the story. Jesus is there. He asked the Samaritan woman to please give him a drink. And then the kind of the story stops for a second, and we get a very important detail that we need to understand for later on and obviously also for today. He stops in verse number eight, and it's up there, it'll be up on the screen. Verse number eight, uh, John 4 tells us he was alone, meaning Jesus, at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. So John gives us that quick little detail, and then we jump right back into the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. But at this point in time, Jesus is alone because his disciples have left him there to go get food. Why it took all of them to go get food, we don't know. It just says that they were gone getting food and Jesus was there alone. So basically after that, the woman is surprised, like, why are you talking to me? Why are you, you doing this? And, and we've talked about this in kind of passing in, in other messages before about how strange this was that a Jewish man, especially a Jewish rabbi, was talking to a woman and especially a Samaritan woman. But, but this conversation begins to happen and there's some arguing that kind of takes place. Uh, Jesus kind of begins to probe her heart, begins to kind of talk to her. Basically, in, in so many ways, Jesus just kind of reads her mail and basically explains says, man, I, I know all these things that you've been involved in. I know that's going on in your heart and in your life. And this woman, I mean, it just is, is just crazy time. I mean, she's just sitting there like, how is this happening? What is going on? She's trying to deflect and she's trying to distract Jesus. And Jesus is just like, no, I want your heart. I'm going after you. I, I care about you. And, and at the end of the story, kind of basically, you know, Jesus talks about water and water that she'll never be thirsty again. And she, man, she's like, oh, I want some of that water. Where can I find it? And Jesus begins to kind of open her heart to, to, to him. And, 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 and he, he, he looks at her and he goes, I, I know what your past is. I know what you've done. But you know what? I still want to give you this, this water that's going to change everything. And at the end of this story, basically what happens is this woman looks at Jesus and she basically says, listen, I know there's somebody coming and he's going to make it all right. He's going to take all the stuff and he's going to fix it all. And he's going to make it all right. And he, she asks, are you that guy? She uses the term Messiah. And basically Jesus says, yes, I am that guy. And then we pick up our story. So this is what's going on. Just an absolutely amazing moment. 
this absolutely incredible moment happens. This woman who his, 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 her life is full of guilt and shame. You know, we talked about her coming at the noontime. Most theologians, most scholars think the reason why she was there at that time was because all the other women were there earlier in the day. And she didn't want to deal with the, the, the gossip. She didn't want to deal with the judgment. She didn't want to deal with the things that were being, going to be said about her. And so she was there at a very strange time because she wanted to be there alone. I mean, I love that our God can look at us and say, you know, even though there's moments where you think you're off alone, I'm going to show up when you least expect it and make an impact in your life. And so this woman sitting there, and here's Jesus. I mean, can you imagine this? Can you imagine the story? Here's this woman. She's lugging this large pot and sitting there waiting for her is Jesus. I love that Jesus waits for the right moment to come and make an impact. And so he begins to share these things with her. She's feisty. She's angry. She's bitter. She's upset. And Jesus pushes it all aside. And he says, I know your past. I know your hurt. I know all the things that have gone on before. But you know what? I still want you. I still want your heart. And he ministers to her in a powerful way. And because of that, this lady leaves. Listen, I love this. I love the detail John gives us. She leaves the purpose that she had before for a brand new purpose. Did you catch it? Did you catch it? You see, that's what Jesus does in our hearts and our lives. You think we have one purpose, but when Jesus comes and changes you, your purpose changes. You see, she came with a water jug, but she left with Jesus. She came thinking, I'm going to draw some water. But you know what? The jug stayed and she went because her life was transformed. But you know what? Unfortunately, Jesus had some disciples that didn't quite understand. He had some disciples that at that moment, they come walking up. And the first, I mean, listen, they're going, wait a minute. Why is he talking to her? What's going on here? And I love that, like, they don't even have the guts to ask Jesus about it. It's like, like, hey, um, you, you know, why you shouldn't, this is, you're breaking the rules, Jesus, is basically what they're saying. And this lady takes off and she runs to her village and she's telling everyone, and I love this, she says, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Why is this important? Why does this matter? Because here's the deal. This is a small Samaritan village. Everybody knows everything she's done. They know all about all the husbands, all about the mess up, all about the screw up. And she runs. Now before, she doesn't want to be around people because she doesn't want to be reminded of her past and her failures and her struggles. But now she's telling everybody, listen, there was a God, there was a man who came and he said, I know it all and I love you anyway. And then all of a sudden, those things that were so pit down and, and I don't want to talk about them, now they became a testimony of what God could do. Come see. Come see. And so the people come streaming from the village to see him. So we see all this happening. And then we see something very interesting in verse number 31. And we're not there yet, Em. Just hold on. We'll go in a second. But in 31, there's that word there. It's very important. If you have a highlighter, you highlight stuff. Okay? Highlight the word meanwhile. Meanwhile. 
Okay? Because what John is saying is while all this is taking place, the disciples are focused on something a little bit different. So let's look at it together because I believe, you may not believe me, but I think this was the first food fight in the Bible. So we want to look at the start of the food fight. Now obviously they weren't throwing real food, but there was a fight about some food here that we need to look at. So let's look at it together. The start of this food fight, John 4, 31 through 34, if we want to throw it up there. It says, meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food that you know nothing about. 34, 3. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? I mean, listen, if you want some proof that the Bible is really a true Bible, you just look at how bad the disciples showed themselves to be. Okay, like they didn't, I mean, like, like, like if you're writing that auto, uh, auto, if I'm writing an autobiography of myself and things I did, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm going to try to kind of skew it and make me kind of look a little good. Okay, over and over and over and over and over and over again, you see the disciples being dumb. And we see it here. Jesus just told them, I have food you know nothing about. Wouldn't a logical good question be, Jesus, I want to know about that food. Give me some of that food. It's what the woman at the well does. When Jesus talks about this living water, she says, give me some of the water. Disciples of Jesus here. Their response is, who brought him some food? Totally clueless. Totally clues. And Jesus says, my food, said Jesus, is due to the will of who sent me and to finish his work. Here's the deal. The disciples and Jesus start to have a food fight. They start to look at two different types of food. You see, what's happening here is the disciples have left. They have gone off. Why did they leave and leave Jesus alone in the first place? Simple. They went to the village to buy food. And so now that they have their food... They show up in the middle of just this amazing scene. This woman is sitting there. Her life has been literally transformed. Now she's run off. She's left her water jug. Why'd she leave her water jug? She goes, the, the scripture says that the whole village comes streaming out to see Jesus. So here's the disciples. They're here. All of a sudden, there's this woman. She's going nuts. She's going crazy. Oh, my goodness. I can't believe what's happened. All the village is coming out. Like, who is this guy? Is this really Jesus? And what do the disciples do? Hey, Jesus, you want something to eat? I mean, you're talking about one of these moments in Scripture that like, man, I want to see one day. I want to see that scene. What are the disciples worried about? Their stomach. What do they go to Jesus and say? Hey, man, listen, you got to do something. You got you to you do, you know, not, 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 hey, Jesus, can we help? Hey, now, Jesus, can we be a part of this? Hey, Jesus, man, look what's going on. Who can we minister to? Who can we make a difference? No, Jesus, you got to eat something. And Jesus begins to help them shift their perspective a little bit. But the food is a little bit different. You see, there's a difference between Jesus' food and the disciples' food. And here's the deal. When I use the word disciples this morning, it's real easy to go, oh, yeah, Peter, James, John. Yeah. But we're disciples too. Our food is the same at times as the disciples' food. And Jesus says, listen, I have some food that you know nothing about. Now, Jesus didn't say that to them so they would never find out. He said it to them in the same way he said it to the woman at the well. I have something you need. Come get it. Unfortunately, the disciples missed it. 
And Jesus continues later on, we'll see, to begin to shift their perspective. But we still need to understand this idea of Jesus' food versus the disciples' food and see if what food we are truly focusing in on as his disciples. First, Jesus' food versus the disciples' food. Jesus' food really focuses on the big picture and the disciples' food is the small picture. Jesus understood in this moment what was most important was the souls and the lives of the people in that village. It was something that he wanted to focus in on. I'm sure Jesus was hungry. I'm sure he had been traveling just like the disciples had. I'm sure his stomach was growling. But he said, no, what's more important right now is not my stomach. What's more important is the lives and the souls of the people that God has placed me to fulfill or to make a difference in. Jesus could see the bigger picture. His food helped him focus on the bigger picture where the disciples' food only focused on themselves and the smaller picture, satisfying the need that they had at that moment. Next, Jesus' food brings lasting satisfaction and strength, but the disciples' food, always will, there always will be a need for more. Always be a need for more. I love what Jesus says, this food, man, this food that I have to finish the work that God has set for me to follow his will. He says that is, that is nourishment to me. It's interesting that Jesus here, now remember the context. Jesus has just talked about living water, that when we drink it, we'll never thirst again. John 4 is an interesting chapter. It's about, in a lot of ways, it's about water and it's about food. I know it's hard. I, I thought about it this week. It's like, you know, Lord, thanks so much for helping us to focus on food and water during our fast. But that's what he led us to, okay? And he says, listen, when you come, listen, I, I, I don't know if you're fasting right now food, but if you are, you know what I've learned? You know, when I fast, I want more and I want more and I want more. The food that I do eat isn't enough. But the food that Jesus wants you to partake in Gives you satisfaction and strength. Next, Jesus' food versus the disciples' food. Jesus' food is other needs focused, but the disciples' is my needs focused. Jesus said, man, what's most important right now is those people. That they find out who I am. That they know me. That I change their hearts and their lives with the disciples. They're like, hey man, I just want something to eat. I just need to take care of that need in me first. And you know what we tend to do? We spiritualize stuff in this way. We say basically, well, God, if I'll just take care of my needs first, well, then I'll be strengthened. I'll be able then to do your will and your purposes and your plans for my life. But Jesus says the exact opposite. He says, listen, if you want strength, if you want nourishment, it comes from doing the will of the Father first. And then your needs will be taken care of as well. So important that we get that. Jesus' food next is God's will being done versus my will being done. Jesus allowed that to help him, to, to give him the strength that he needed to accomplish something amazing. And then final thing, and there's others, but this is the final one. Jesus' food is eternal, where the disciples' food was very temporal. We kind of talked about it earlier. The disciples were going to get hungry again. But when we are following and eating and feasting on the food that the Lord has given us, man, that is an eternal thing. And God is 
wanting to do eternal things in our hearts and the hearts of others. And so, man, they begin to have this food fight. They begin to basically say, well, this is the food that you should be focusing in on. And Jesus is like, no, you don't understand. And he begins to want to shift their focus. You know, what was happening in a lot of ways is that you had a group of disciples who were very, very nearsighted in this moment. They couldn't see very well. And that was the thing. And here as we kind of look, as, as we kind of begin to pull back the layers of the onion, we need to really understand because I think this is something that we all need to get this morning. And it's simply this, what was truly the issue that Jesus' disciples were dealing with? When you start to pull it all away, when you begin to say, what is the root cause? Not the symptoms, but what was the disease that Jesus' disciples were dealing with? And it was quite simply, they had a very, very bad set of eyes. They were so nearsighted in making sure their needs were being focused in on first that they forgot that there was something right in front of them. Was it out there a little bit? Yeah, it was different. It was strange. It was not common for a Jewish rabbi or a Jewish man of any kind to have anything to do with Samaritans. These people were kind of the half-breeds. They were kind of the people that no one liked and no one wanted to talk to. You're over there. I'm over here. But Jesus says, listen, you are missing the bigger picture. This is very clear. And if, I, if you don't get anything out of this morning, get this. Jesus wants to shift our focus off of our stomachs and onto our eyes and our hands. Off of our stomachs and onto our eyes and our hands. Listen, look what Jesus says in John 4. Again, he's trying to help his disciples to shift their focus. He says, John 4 4, 35 through 36. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. Okay, now listen. What Jesus is doing here is he's trying to help them understand timing. Okay, by talking about this idea of four months until the harvest, he's not talking about the concept of planning and then waiting. Okay, he's talking about it basically, that's the saying. And he's saying, listen, I know there's a saying that you got to plant and then wait. Hang out. Take some time. But what Jesus is saying here is, listen, I'm going against that saying. He says, listen, I know you have a saying. It's going to take some time. That there's, it's not ready yet. But listen to what he says. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. You see, the disciples didn't understand that right in that moment, things were, it was ready. It was time. Why? Because they were too nearsighted. He says they are ripe for harvest. Even now, he says, even now, right now, today, in this moment, the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. What's Jesus saying? What's Jesus trying to get them to see? How is he trying to shift their perspective? He's basically saying, listen, you are so focused on your stomach. You are so focused on what your need is right now that you are failing to see that right in front of you there is an eternal destiny of people that is missing out because we are too focused in on our stomachs to focus in on what we see and what we can do for him. People all around him all around Jesus. The whole village has rushed out to see him. And the disciples are going, yeah, but my stomach's growling. 
but, 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 you know, Jesus, those aren't the right kind of people. We're not, we're, we're what, these are, God, Jesus, these are Samaritans. Why are you talking to the woman? Scripture records that they were thinking it. I'm just verbalizing what they were thinking. Jesus, you don't, you don't really want to deal with them, do you? And Jesus is like, oh, yeah. He says the fields are ripe. It's amazing to me that we have a story that we focus in on so much in the church. And we seem to stop focusing in on it when the woman runs off. Why? I don't know. Maybe it's because it's a hard truth that we all deal with. I mean, it's one thing, hear me here, it's one thing to say, you know what, Jesus, you minister. You know what, Jesus, you do amazing work. You know what, pastor, you do it. Or, or you know, that person that's been saved for a hundred years, you know, they're going to do it. It's a completely other thing when Jesus stops, looks at us and says basically something similar to this. You need to get your eyes off yourself and on the harvest because the harvest is plentiful and it's ripe and it's about eternity and it's about lives and it's not always about you. That's harder. It is. But it's something that God wants us to see. You know what I've always been amazed in? And I do, I do this too. Please don't misunderstand. This is not how dare you. It's, it's man, I got to work on this. I, I enjoy eschatology. If you don't, eschatology is, is, is study of end time prophecy. I enjoy that. But I don't know how many times God has convicted me of Aaron, you care so much about the dates and the times and the seasons and the when, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to understand those things better. But you know what, Aaron? I really wish you had just as much passion and just as much desire that as you look as the days are getting shorter and my return is coming more and more and more, that maybe you should be focused a little bit more on those that are not going to make it than, than the fact that you're going. And it, it breaks my heart. Not because God is angry at me, but because God loves me enough to say, Aaron, you're being nearsighted. Now, is God saying, hey, you shouldn't study those things and know the seasons and the times? No, Jesus encourages us to do that. But sometimes we get so focused on the fact of when is Jesus coming, we forget that there's a lot of people in our lives that aren't going right now, that God loves and God wants us to make a difference in. And it's so easy. To sit there and say, Jesus will take care of it. Jesus will help it. Jesus will send somebody else. Well, Jesus is saying to you and to me, the harvest is ripe. The wages are good. It is eternal life for you and for others. Go out and get in the harvest. But listen, we won't do that well if we're worried about ourselves. Because you know what? Jesus may want to bring some people that you're not going to be comfortable with in this place. Jesus may bring, oh, well, that person, but not that. No, 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 no. We can't fall into that trap. We can't allow our nearsightedness to affect the harvest that God wants to bring us to, 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 to be a part of. Not Listen, not, not so Broomfield Assembly can be great. Not so that, that we can sit back and pull out our suspenders and go, wow, look what we've done. 
so that God will be glorified, so that people will come to the knowledge, the understanding of Jesus as their Lord and their Savior. That's what we're after. That's what Jesus was after. The Bible says that Jesus stayed a few days and then he left. He had other things to do. He wasn't about building an earthly kingdom. It was about having an understanding of a heavenly kingdom that God had called him to make a difference in. So let's finish this up. Let's look at some application. What is the prescription for nearsighted vision? What's the prescription? When I went to the doctor, I saw Dr. Lally. We, we had that argument where I was a fool. And, and, and then he took me out to the uh, uh, lobby. And he said, okay, Aaron, here you go. And he handed me a little piece of paper. I said, what's this? He said, Aaron, this is your prescription. I said, do I go to the, you know, like I was confused, you know, like as I didn't know what a prescription, I prescription was. You know, I was like, well, you know, you go to the, like, you know, Walgreens and you get a prescription. He goes, no, 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 you, you, you're going to need some glasses. You need to pick out some glasses and then we'll take your prescription and we'll uh, have the, the lenses fit so you can see better. And I said, I don't understand. What will this do? And he said, well, it'll keep you from, you'll be able to still see things close up but it'll help you to see things far away. And I said, okay. And so I was there, I remember, with my mom, and we, we picked out some glasses. And, and here's the thing, that you know, God, in his love and his kindness and his goodness, in his discipline, man, he doesn't just look at you and go, dude, bro, you can't see. How dare you? He says, man, I got a prescription for that. I want to change your perspective. He didn't look at his disciples and go, boy, you guys are just, I'm out with you. I'm going to find me another 12 because you guys are driving me up a wall because you can't get it. No, Jesus in that moment begins to give them a prescription. First and foremost, that prescription that Jesus begins to give them, we saw like kind of in this scripture was that beginning process of saying, hey, listen, you need to shift some ideas. You need to shift your focus. You need to stop being so focused here and focus more out there first. But 2 Peter really shows us an amazing way that we could take this and apply it and let this prescription change how we see and how we deal with those things in our lives. So let's look at it together. 2 Peter 1, look at verse with me, verse 5 through 9. It says, For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, and to perseverance godliness, and to godliness mutual affection, and to mutual affection love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. Listen to what he says. This is the man that was there. This is the man who had Jesus personally say, you know what, Peter and all the other disciples, your vision is messed up. He says, but whoever does not have them, is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they have been cleansed from their past sins. 
To close this morning, we're going to break down a little bit 1 Peter 5-9 through 9, to see where the prescription really lies. First and foremost, we talked about it earlier, was a realization that we are nearsighted. Jesus helped his disciples see that in a very, very clear way. And he now is doing the same for us today. He's saying, listen, we need to stop and realize, do we have a vision problem? Do we have an issue where we can't see the far things, only what affects us and only what affects what we want and what we need? Do we have some problems with nearsightedness? Once we understand that, Jesus begins to, begins to put in that prescription. We see this idea of faith and godliness, or goodness and goodness and knowledge. There's a progression. There's a growth. There is things that God wants to build in your life. Once we realize we have an issue, once we realize we can't see the way God wants us to see, God wants to bring forth a pattern and a building and a growth inside of you. Some of us, we think we could just magically click our fingers or snap our fingers and go, okay, I'm going to have good vision now. But listen, if you're not growing in the knowledge and understanding of Jesus, if you're not following him and becoming more and more like him, you are going to fail because your vision is still not corrected. We allow that to take place by the journey of growth that God wants to bring you and me on. It's interesting to me that when we become self-absorbed and self-focused and nearsighted, growth immediately stops. I've seen it over and over and over again. I know it's happened in my life as well. So he's saying, listen, I want that to happen. And then as you continue on with the verse, it says, for with you possess these qualities. And it doesn't say in just a stagnant way. Qualities in increasing measure. Now, what does increasing measure mean? Okay, It doesn't say in massively increasing measure. It doesn't say that you need to start here and go to there. If I have a pound of flour and I add an ounce to it, guess what I've just done? I have increased the measure of flour I have. Do not believe the lie of the enemy that says that is not enough. God takes us all on our journeys in our own time, in our own way. What we want to focus in on is that those areas in our life are increasing, even if they're a little bit. And when they are, when those things, those growth areas that God wants to bring us closer to him, when we see those things happening, guess what's going to happen? We will be kept from being ineffective and unproductive. Listen, if you want to find, listen, it's real easy. I know this is a harsh thing to say, but you got to, it's just the truth. In churches, the most unproductive and ineffective Christians are those that are focused only on themselves. When I am the most ineffective and unproductive pastor I can be, it's when Aaron sits on his throne. But when I have knowledge, and self-control, and godliness, and mutual affection, and love for my Father, for my Jesus, for the Holy Spirit, and for others. Guess what? It's amazing how effective and productive I can be. Not because of who I am, but because of who Christ is inside of me. 
And then Peter takes it one step further and says basically this, if you're not growing, if you're not these things, he says you're nearsighted and blind. Some translations I looked at don't only give this idea of nearsighted and blind, but they kind of have this progression. And it says nearsightedness that leads to blindness. I thought that was so interesting because that is, that is true. You're nearsighted long enough, you're going to go blind. You focus in on yourself long enough, you will become blind to the needs of others. You will become blind to what Christ has for you. Why is this important? It's simple because we don't want to go blind spiritually speaking. One of the things that I always look at when I think about blindness and spiritual blindness was the Pharisees that Jesus dealt with. These men knew scripture like you and I would only dream to know scripture. A lot of them had the Old Testament, especially the five, first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch, memorized. Plus, many of the prophets, many of the Psalms, memorized. And yet Jesus is standing in front of them and they're blind to it. Why? Because they were nearsighted and it led to blindness. That is the danger of nearsightedness, spiritually speaking, is it leads to blindness. So Christ has given us a very clear picture how to deal with those things in our hearts and our lives. And also, if we don't, what it leads to. And look, I know it's hard. I know we live in a world that is so me-centric. But shouldn't that be a clue? Shouldn't that help us to see something? That this world that is following the lies of the enemy would be only about themselves? And yet scripture tells us over and over and over again that it's about others first. No wonder the enemy is focusing on this. No wonder the enemy wants to get us to be nearsighted people and miss the harvest that's right in front of us. I know it's hard. I know there's moments where we all need to work on this. I know there's times in our hearts and our lives where it's very difficult. But I want you to see what happens. This won't be on the screen, but I want to I want to close this story in John 4, starting with verse number 39. I want you to see what happens when people stop being nearsighted and instead allow Jesus to do in their hearts and lives what he wants to do. Look at it with me, John 4, starting with verse number 39. Remember, all the people came out. They all experienced this. It says, now, many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I ever did. When they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. 
So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, I love this. Then they said to the woman, now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. Thank you, Jesus. You know what I believe? And I'm, maybe I'm just a nutcase. I believe our greatest days are ahead of us. I believe our most effective days as a church are ahead of us. Listen, if you're living in the past of what has been in this place, you are listening to a lie of the enemy. I'm not saying the past didn't happen. I'm just saying I believe God for a new future. A great future. Does that mean this church can have 10,000 people? I don't know. I don't care. That's not the future I care about. I want a future that people come to this place and they say something like this, you know? You know, I, 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 I came because somebody told me about Jesus. I came because they lived a way that was not nearsighted. I came because of what they had been done in their life. But you know what? Now I believe on my own. Now I have experienced the Savior and the Lord. And I don't have to let, let somebody else's belief be enough for me. Because now I believe on my own. Because I've seen it and I've heard it myself. Why did that happen? Well, it started with Jesus. It started with somebody who said, you know what? I'm not going to let this keep me from something greater. And then he caught some disciples who had their perspective changed and who started to understand, hey, man, there's a harvest out there and it's ready. It's ripe. It's time. When we allow Jesus to fix our vision, it gets so much clearer and everything changes. I remember going to school with my glasses. I remember being able to look at the board and say, oh my goodness, I can see. I remember later on that year and baseball started. I had no idea. I was like, oh my goodness. I can see the laces on the ball when it's coming towards me. It was amazing. It was like all of a sudden, it was like, man, that baseball all of a sudden looks like a beach ball. When God corrects your vision, everything changes. Everything. Everything changes. And you know what? I don't know about you, and, and I'm just going to speak for me. I might need a little bit stronger prescription. Because sometimes it's real easy to forget that we're here for souls, for eternal things, not the temporal. And God wants to help us to see that. So will you bow your heads? We're going to close. I just want to ask you a real simple question. How's your vision? How's your vision? How are you are, you, are, are are you really seeing the big picture? Because I'll be honest with you, the big picture 
isn't a lot of what we focus in on. We focus in on the small things, the things that are not going to last for eternity. Now, it's, it's hard to do that sometimes. But Jesus, you have called us to some different types of food. Jesus, one of the reasons why we're fasting and one of the reasons why you called us to fast is very simple. It's because you want us to eat some of your food for a while. And God, that food gives us strength and nourishment. And yes, it is hard. And yes, the enemy attacks. But he attacks because he knows that when nearsighted people begin to see clearly, people's lives are changed Towns' lives are changed. Areas are changed. Communities are changed for him. And so, Father, first and foremost, I pray for us. God, that each and every one of us would have a new prescription. God, maybe some of us are doing okay. Maybe some of us, if we're just honest, we're just doing a horrible job at this right now. It doesn't matter how bad our vision is. You are the a great physician and you can prescribe what we need to correct it. Whether it's a little tweaking or whether it's, man, you're blind. But you know what? Here's what's great. We got lots of examples in scripture of Jesus taking blind man's eyes and opening them up again. Listen, if Jesus can get open up physical eyes, he can open up spiritual ones just as simply and just as easily. And that's what he wants to do this morning. No matter where your eyes are at, God wants to heal them. God wants to help you with a new prescription that says, you know what? I'm going to make sure that I focus in on what really matters. All these other things, God, you told me, you'll take care of them. When I focus in on you and your kingdom, all these other things you got, you ta- you'll take care of them. If I'm hungry, you'll take care of that. If I need something, you'll take care of that. You've got me. So I'm going to focus in on the eternal and the lives of those that you've placed in my path. Father, I pray that for us as a church. I pray that for us as individuals. But Father, because this is not about a church, I also pray it for every, every Christian in this city of Broomfield and Westminster and Thornton and Arvada and in Erie and in Superior and in Boulder and in Lafayette and in Longmont and in Denver and in Littleton and at this entire Denver metro area. God, I pray for every Bible-believing Christian that has given his heart and her life to you That God, in this moment, right now, you would begin a process of eye surgery. Because I believe, I believe that you want to bring a revival. You want to bring your spirit and your presence to this place. And I believe that you are going to use us help that happen. So God, I pray for everyone. Thank you for loving us enough to help us and to discipline us. Help us all to realize that you just desire us 
to shift our focus, to see the world and to see others the way you see them so that we can make an impact for eternity. Help us, God. Help us as we draw close to you and you draw close to us. Allow it to be a life-transformational process in our lives and in every life that we touch for your glory and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. Now, here's the deal. As we talked about earlier, the enemy is not going to sit by and sit behind and say, oh, wow, this is great. Look, they're getting, their, they're getting their eyes fixed. Yay! Oh, good, they're fasting and praying. I'm so excited about it. No, uh-uh, uh-uh. He's coming. He's already started. But I want to encourage you. Take heart. Our God has overcome him and overcome the world. So stand. Stand firm. Stand strong. Listen, I've had people already do it. You are not going to bother me in any way, shape, or form. If you are going through something over these next two weeks, you ought to do this at any time, okay? Any time. But especially in the next two weeks, if you need me to pray with you, you need to get a hold of me. You do that. You say, I don't care. Write an email, send a text, call me on the phone, do something, whatever it takes. Okay? I am here for you to partner with you and to, to be a part of that strengthening process that God wants to do. And he wants to have us come together to do that. I'm here for you to do that. For those that are online, you say, well, Aaron, I don't live, I don't live in, in, in Denver area. I don't care. I'll pray for you at any time and support you at any time. You just need to talk because it's, it's a hard moment. Now listen, you need to go to God first, but I'm here to partner with him and to, to support you during this time, okay? Because I know it's hard and I know the enemy's not happy, but let me be there for you to partner with the Lord to help you to be strong during this season, okay? Okay? So let me know. Whatever you need, I'm here. And more importantly, and more necessary, Jesus is here too. So run to him. Father, we love you and we thank you. Be with us now, God, as we leave. God, as we continue on to now as our 14-day fast has begun. Father, I pray that you would just continue to work miracles in our hearts and our lives. As we draw close to you, we know scripture says you will draw near to us. And allow this to be just a life-transforming time as we head into what you have prepared for us in this coming year. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being here this morning. Again, I hope you have, an, I hope you have a wonderful week. For those that are online, we love you. We miss you. We hope we see you soon. Everybody have a great week. Remember, we have prayer this Wednesday night at 7 o'clock during our prayer and fasting time. And also, ladies, the sign-up sheet's out in the foyer for the new book club. Make sure you sign up for that. If you have any questions, please see Tammy or Emily. Have a great week, and we'll see you on Wednesday.